Good morning. The account in the second chapter of Acts of Christ's birth describes a scene in which there were shepherds abiding in the fields by night. It was dark around them. And it says that in that darkness shone a great light. And there was a huge contrast between the dark and the light, the darkness and the light. And it caused those shepherds who were in that field to sit up and take notice. And it didn't hurt anything that there was an angel and then a multitude of angels singing and praising God. And I believe probably brought to the point of that light. And it I don't think it was, it lit up as day, but it was pinpointed in a certain place there where the shepherds were. And they saw around them a great darkness, but in this one area, there was a great light. The contrast between that darkness and light is indicative and is used over and over in the Scripture to indicate that when Christ comes, there will be a separation of darkness from light. That there will be a separation in in understanding. There will be a separation in people who understand, who are enlightened, and those who will remain in darkness. And throughout Scripture in both the Old and the New Testaments, that difference between darkness and light is given to us as a picture of the difference between those who are in confusion, who sow confusion, who have no understanding, and those who see and understand that which God would have them to see and to understand. And we count ourselves today as a people who are living in that light and who, when we look up, can see the glory of God shining around about us. Not because our lives are always perfect, not because we always know everything that we need to know, but rather that God has given to us the illumination that we most need and not that not of temporal things, but of spiritual things that we understand that which is most important to the eternal aspect of our lives, not necessarily the temporal. In this account in Luke, it says that after Mary brought brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, it says, and there were in the same country in the eighth verse, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And we all know this story. And the picture that I get in my mind of this is just a a beam of light from heaven. And within that light, the angel of God, Gabriel, 
saying to them, good things have come from God in my own, in my own words. Good tidings of great joy. I'm sure that at some point in time, we've all found ourselves in darkness in some way or another. Maybe in the cold uh, of wintertime, an ice storm has occurred and knocked down power lines and our house has gone dark. Maybe after a storm in the springtime, whatever it might be, perhaps uh, a, a transformer has gone out, whatever Whatever it is, we found ourselves in darkness. And while most of us appreciate having the darkness to sleep in, we don't want to abide in the darkness. We want to abide in the light. We want the light to be on while we need to be about doing things. And in those cases where the electricity is off for a few days and light comes back on, it is with great comfort and gladness that we receive that light back again, right? We're glad that the electricity is on. It's easier to heat our homes. It's easier to see what we're doing. It's easier actually to be happy when the light is on. And I can imagine when these shepherds were abiding in the field there, they probably were awoken out of sleep. That's just the way I see it. They were asleep there and this great light comes upon them and wakes them up and they're they sit up and rub their eyes and shield it from the great light and they see this angel of God above them, around them, wherever it might have been, saying to them this thing, Fear not, for behold, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Gabriel is telling them of the plan of God in, a, in just one sentence the plan of God to enlighten people and to bring to them goodness and joy which had escaped human beings from the time that Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. Good tidings. All of us like to hear good things. We all like to hear, for instance, of someone that we know and love uh, who has been ill and maybe close to death. We love to get that phone call that says they're on the road to recovery. They're, they're doing better and not worse. We anticipated perhaps a death and instead we got good tidings and it brings us joy. Good tidings are things that uh, we like to hear from others or about our personal lives or whatever it might be. We go to the doctor for a diagnosis of a pain or a condition and they take they run tests and it takes a while to get those tests back and we hear over the phone when the when the phone call is made that the diagnosis is it's not as serious as what we expected that's a good tiding of great joy but we know as a people of god that we have a condition as mankind which is a, a death sentence upon all of us and so many of us as have had that light shine in our lives, have heard the good tidings. We've gotten the phone call that says this condition is a condition of death. But there is a cure. That good tiding brings to us great joy. I want to go back to that ninth chapter 
of Isaiah that Brother Lee read. Ninth chapter of Isaiah. And I want to read before that chapter in, in, in chapter 8, the last four verses or so. And Isaiah says, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them which have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead? To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And they shall pass through it, hardly bestead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. This is a condition that Isaiah describes of the nation of Israel, and in fact of the whole world, uh, a condition that has existed since the time of Adam and Eve and their sin against God, the rebellion uh, against God in the Garden of Eden. It's a, it's a description of people who, in general, don't have an inclination to, to understand and to know God, who don't want to know God, who have a confusion of mind, and that is described by darkness in their understanding. What we find in Isaiah is a condition that seems hopeless, a condition that seems as though there's no way out, and mankind can never really know what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, and, and the way out of that. We have in our world today a lot of that same confusion. It goes on and on and on, and it will, and it will go on until Jesus returns again. That confusion of mind that says, who is right, like Pilate said, what is truth? What do people know that they can count on that is truth? But when they hear the gospel, when we hear the gospel, it has that ring of authenticity of truth to it. And it brings to our hearts as Christians, as believers, good tidings of great joy. I understand the pull of sin in men's lives because it is something that we are born with. I understand that people can get confused even after hearing the truth because we don't know for sure because God hasn't showed Himself to us in bodily form. And there's always that modicum of doubt that Satan can bring into people's lives and say, yea, hath God said, just like He said to Eve in the Garden of Eden. But the joy that we find in our hearts gives authenticity to the truth that we read in Scripture. And the light that shines and gives us the truth of the gospel is one that we have to understand and hang our understanding upon so that throughout the tides of life, as the tides come in and the tides go out, as the darkness uh, seems to encroach upon the truth, that we still understand that there is a king in heaven, that he sent his only begotten son, and that great is God's love to us in doing that. This darkness that is described in the 8th chapter of Isaiah is one that describes that confusion so well. People who are grasping at anything to give them an understanding, to, to know uh, why they're here, and if they have a purpose, and if there's any meaning to life at all. And Isaiah goes on in the ninth chapter, as Brother Lee read, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. This, this 
affliction of God, I believe, was something that God allowed because he wanted the people uh, to understand that of their own wisdom and knowledge, they would never come to an understanding of the truth. That in mankind alone, there was a limit to our wisdom, to our knowledge, even to what we could understand. We see that today in science. There's a, there's a, a, a big, uh, almost a meme about science. If, it, if science can't prove it, uh, then it can't be true. And yet we see people who are still lost in darkness, even though they know a tremendous amount about the world that we live in and the universe uh, that we that that our world are, is uh, occupies, they know a tremendous amount about uh, mankind and the inner workings of our bodies, and and have con, con, uh, concocted medications to overcome many many diseases and extended the lifetime of mankind, and yet they still have confusion of mind and live in darkness. And and if and, and as we live and, and as we grow older, we begin to understand that the, the, that the most important things in life really don't have much to do with temporal things, but they have to do with relationships. They have to do with uh, with with our with our families, and most of all, with our our relationship with our God, our Creator. They have they understand we understand we we come to understand through. Uh, through the, the the various vain and vexing things of life, uh, that that which really makes us happiness is things that we cannot uh, work for or buy, but they come through the relationships that we have with other people, and with our God, and so God gives mankind that leash uh, to go His own way, but at the end of that leash. There is a light that is available to everyone. And he says to us, I can give you understanding. I can give you meaning in life. I can take away this darkness so that you can see, even through the limitations of your mind, what I have in store for you, that you might have purpose in life, that you might have meaning, and that you might find peace and joy in this life. That is why I believe the angel when he came, Gabriel when he came uh, to the shepherds there in that light, it was both symbolic because that light pierced the darkness, but it was also very personal and real to them when he said to them, I bring you good tidings of great joy for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Very short, very short proclamation. Good tidings of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. What does that tell us? It tells us that there is joy available and that it is brought to us. It is not found by us. It tells us that God is the one who brings those good tidings to us because He also gave to us through the birth of the Savior, His only begotten Son, a Savior. He gave to us a Savior. For unto you is born. There was a purpose in, the, in this birth. The, the birth wasn't aimless. It wasn't circumstantial. It wasn't purposeless. But unto you is born this day. Now, Mary had this child. Mary carried this child. And it was born to her and to her espoused husband, Joseph. But that's not what the angel said. 
He didn't say unto Mary is born this day. He said unto you is born this day. You who have not carried this child. You who have not given birth to this child. You who will not raise this child. You who will not feed this child or care for this child. You, unto you is born this day in the city of David. You will benefit from the life and from the death and from the, from the uh, bleeding of this child and from his resurrection. You will benefit. That's what Gabriel was saying to the shepherds. Some unlikely, as it's already been pointed out, some unlikely messengers, shepherds, who had no political clout, who had no wealth, who had no significance other than keeping the sheep. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, as has been predicted, as has been foretold in the city of David, a Savior. A Savior which will save all mankind, not from their political situation, not from the situation in which they found themselves economically. He would not save them uh, necessarily even from their sickness and illness, although He did as He walked upon the earth. But He would save them from their sins, and that was what was most important. So nevertheless, he says, the dimness shall not be such as with sin or vexation. Verse 1, the people that walked in darkness, verse 2, have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. Who walks in the shadow of death? David testified in the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He was referring to uh, the danger in which he abode and the curse under which he lived. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, he said. I believe he understood what Isaiah was saying here to whatever degree uh, the, the, that, that, that uh, God revealed to him. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. David understood that. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. But they joy before thee, according to the joy of harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder. What is, what is he talking about there? What yoke is he talking about? He's talking about the yoke of sin, not the political yoke. Believers around the world today live in different political systems, in different situations, different economic situations, different governmental and regulatory uh, situations, different uh, civil uh, situations, different family situations. And yet there is one thing that, that, that gathers us all together, and that is that we have seen a great light, and to us a Savior has been born. For thou hast broken the yoke of sin, if you will, his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. There is no greater oppressor than Satan. There is no greater oppressor. And he, he oppresses us from the time that we become sentient after we're born, from the time that we begin to have an understanding, he begins to oppress us. And he drives us in, in self-destructive ways working with our natural 
uh, inclinations that we were born with from Adam and Eve. And he drives us in these self-destructive ways. Somebody mentioned, I think, last Sunday that Christmas time is often a, a time when a suicide spike, when people who are despondent and in despair for whatever reason, because of their circumstances, because of their uh, uh, mental state, because of their emotional state, I believe oftentimes because of the lack of relationships that they have, they take their own lives. They don't see, they don't see uh, life as being worth living, and so they take their own lives. They have no reason to live. What a sad testimony that is about humankind. But it just confirms for us that the truth of Scripture, which says to us that without Christ we have no hope, is true. For every battle of the warrior, as Brother Lee uh, read and talked about, is with confused noise and the garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. And then we have this verse which is so familiar to us in a blessed way. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the governor government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In what one of those words is something oppressive found? How do we see God as a gift giver or as a despot? His name shall be called Wonderful. When we think of wonderful, we think of goodness. We think of things that bring joy. We think of things that we want to see, that we want to experience, that we want to hear. That is wonderful. That's how we respond to things that we are glad to hear about. Good tidings of great joy. How do we respond? That's wonderful. You know, when you're doing that, you're actually praising he whose name is wonderful. That's wonderful. In other words, that can only be brought by the goodness and mercy of God. That's wonderful. Counselor. How many of us need counsel throughout our lives? And who better supplies the counsel which is life-giving eternally, which can bring that great joy to us than the counselor, the Lord Jesus Christ, who counsels us Give up that which you cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose. The best counsel of any counselor ever. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There is so much tied up in each one of those names of the Lord Jesus Christ that, that Isaiah was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write so many years ago. The mighty God, he is, he is all-powerful. He can do all things, but the greatest thing to us personally is that He can forgive our sins, that he, can, that he took them away on Calvary, and that He extends to all mankind that power of salvation and forgiveness of sin. The everlasting Father, He's not a God who was made out of stone or wood or the figment of man's imagination, but He is a God who pre-existed Mankind, who created mankind and who gave himself for them when they fell into sin. And the Prince of Peace. 
those who are born in stable homes, who have loving parents, or had loving parents, who were raised by loving parents, or are being raised by loving parents, can understand the peaceful home. Now, not every home is always peaceful. It's not to say that there's never chaos or never anger or never confusion. But the peace that comes from God that is talked about when the name peace is described is describing the one who inhabits peace and whom peace is defined by, the Prince of Peace. Is, is one who gives to us that opportunity for peace from the time that we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. The Prince of Peace, the one who oversees peace, the one who extends peace to us, even in chaotic and unsettling times. Verse 7 says, Of the increase of His government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The, the beauty that we have in Scripture that describes what, is, what we celebrate at Christmas time is one that I believe should be in our hearts and minds throughout the year. That message that came through Gabriel as he was in that light that came to the shepherds that, that evening, that dark night. Good tidings I bring of great joy to all people. That leaves out no one. The scripture again tells us God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Good tidings of great joy to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I trust that in this Christmas season that everyone will see Christ as Lord and as the greatest gift. We tend to make the Christmas season a selfish season. It's a season where we concentrate on the gift that was given to us, and rightly so, because he was. And as he was announced to the shepherds that day in that beam of light by Gabriel, unto you is given this day, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We have to remember that that phrase ends in the Lord. He is a gift to all men. We personalize that. We make it a selfish thing because we are naturally selfish. But we have to remember also, He is Christ the Lord. And the gift does not come until He becomes our Lord and our Savior. The great tidings, of, or the good tidings of great joy that were brought that day, I trust will be with you in this Christmas season, that as Christmas Day rolls around and you celebrate with your family and friends the gift of Jesus Christ, and as we give one another gifts to celebrate that, may we remember that the greatest gift that was given to us of all is the gift 
that enables us to enjoy the season itself. And if we don't have him as our Lord and Savior and see him as the greatest gift, we will not be able to enjoy the season as God gave to us with the great joy in, that he reveals and that he offers through that present and that gift. May God add his blessings.